ver. What would be your performance of a lifetime? That's a loaded question. Oh my god. Um I'm going to sound really pretentious when I say this, but I think in a way it hasn't been written yet. I would love to originate something. Is okay, what I mean by I that. See, is I what see. I mean by that. Yeah, you were uh, right. That did sound pretentious. Yes. <laughs> Which is why I very quickly said because I would love to originate something. That's cool. I mean, that's a that's a fun idea, you know. It is a little uh yeah. It's a little much, but I like it. Yeah, what I mean, yeah, I don't know what you I don't know what you want me to say. Whatever your heart feels. <laughs> I would love I would love to originate something. That's awesome. Yeah. It's a fun thing to want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about you? I always get made fun of when I say this. Link Larkin. I knew you were going to say that. It's it would be like okay, here's the thing. When I was still acting, I was always the character, right? Like I did character work. Mm-hmm. So I always played their the curmudgeon or the clowny uh, imaginary friend or the gumshoe. You want to be the heartthrob? I get it. Yeah, yeah, I'm fucking hot. Absolutely. I haven't. Yeah, I've never, I've never played the heartthrob, and I would love to. Mm-hmm. And I can dance. I'm good at dancing. Yeah. So yeah, it'd be fun. That would be fun for me because it's so just like the only time I've ever played a lead was Romeo and Juliet. As long as you don't stab yourself in the middle and then die <laughs> on stage. I'm, you can do whatever you want, it you know? It was perfect. <laughs> it was perfect. Hey, babe. Yeah, babe? Remember that time we watched Black Swan? You mean the 2010 American psychological horror film by Darren Aronofsky? Yeah, that's the one. And Mark Heyman. I'm Nicole. I'm Topher. And we're the Horror Babes. That is correct. So we'll be going with the normal format here, just in case you don't know what that is. Topher will take us through who made this thing, shout out the cast and crew, and I will take us through the plot. And then in our third installment, we will be discussing a deeper analysis of said plot. So mm-hmm. Topher, who made this thing? Darren Aronofsky. Yes. We have never covered him, and there's a lot with him we can cover. He he, he flirts with horror in most of his movies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like you said, it was written by Mark Heyman uh, with John McLaughlin and Andres Hines. Mm-hmm. The original story was written by, by Hines. Hines. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, Mark Heyman is someone that Aronofsky works with a lot. They've done a few things together. He also uh, famously did The Skeleton Twins. Oh. Yeah. Nice. Which is an interesting movie. But yeah, he wrote, um, he, was, he, he worked on uh, uh, The Wrestler as well, which is a, Aronofsky claims is a companion piece to this movie. Mm-hmm. And that was his big... His big Oscar winner. Yeah. Pretty strong cast here. Uh, Natalie Portman in what I believe is her only horror film. Other than Annihilation. Yeah, I was about to say, there's got to be another one. But I think it's just that, this and Annihilation, which we covered a while ago. Interesting. Mm-hmm. You'd, I would imagine she was in more. <laughs> yeah. But uh, she plays our lead, Nina Sayers, mm-hmm. slash the Swan Queen. Mm-hmm. This is another uh, another movie where we have two names for everybody. Swan Queen. Swan Queen. Shout out. Uh, Mila Kunis in like a major role for her. Kunis. Kunis? Yeah, Mila Kunis. Oh. Fuck me. I can never say names right. It's Mila Kunis. Okay. Unless this is another Chrissy Teigen Teigen situation where it actually is what you just said and she's just let it go. But I think it's Mila Kunis. Huh. Well, because like in Russian, it would be Milena Markovna Kunis. Okay, then maybe yeah. maybe you're right, and she's just um, allowed it to be Americanized. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. 
<laughs> I think that's I think that's what it would be. I'm not 100%. Dina, let me know. <laughs> uh, but she plays Lily slash the Black Swan. Mm-hmm. This is a really prestige role for her. I was surprised when she was cast in this. She's great, though. She's fantastic in it. Totally. Yeah, I just the was surprised. In this you know, is pretty pretty stellar. Yeah, because we think of her as like kind of uh, goofy, gross out comedy. Like a like an Apatow type. Yeah, because she's kind of she's beautiful, but she's a little bit shrill and funny. And one of the guys kind of is the vibe she yeah. gives off. You know, like she does uh, commercials for Jim Beam. You know. Yeah, but even I mean, before that, she played very girly girl. Um, Jackie, Jackie, yeah, on that '70s show. So I mean, she contains multitudes. She does. She does. She's a very good actor. She's very good in this. I was surprised that she didn't have more of like a prestige career after this. You know. Yeah. Um, Vincent Cassell as Thomas Le Roy, or The Gentleman. Barbara Hershey as Nina's mother, Erica, slash The Queen. Mm-hmm. Winona Ryder, hot off her Kmart scandal. Amazing. Uh, as Beth McIntyre, slash The Dying Swan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Benjamin Milpier. I love that his last name means thousand feet, and he's a dancer. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> um Benjamin Millipede. <laughs> That's literally what his last name is. Um, but he plays David slash the prince. Um, and then we have a bunch of great dancers in here supporting and a nice little cameo role from Sebastian Stan uh, as Andrew slash the suitor. Nice. This has been in the same year that he was in Captain America. Hmm. Or a year before, maybe. I think that was 2011. Anyhow, mm-hmm. it's fun. There's a little uh, two little cameo roles from Aronofsky's parents in here. Oh, really? Yeah, they play Mr. and Mrs. Stein. Who's that? I don't know. Okay. I remember seeing them in there, but it's like how Rob Reiner put his ma in When Harry Met Sally, mm. which is what we watched after this to calm down. <laughs> um, the music was from Clint Mansell, uh, who, again, has worked with Aronofsky a few times as well. Um, he also did Moon, which is a really good movie. The cinematography was from Matthew Libatique, or Libatique, I don't know. Um <laughs> Again, he's another, like, Aronofsky has just, like, a crew that he works with, which we've talked about. That's pretty standard for certain, like, especially auteur directors like he is. Mm -hmm. Because he did Pi, Requiem for a Dream, The Fountain, Black Swan, Noah, and Mother. That's most of Aronofsky's category, if not the entire thing. For sure. (laughs) Or catalog. Um, But he also did A A Star is Born. Oh. Editing was from Andrew Weisblum. Uh, Again, he has, like, main two people are Wes Anderson and Darren Aronofsky. Mm-hmm. That's just like who he works with. <laughs> the production design was from uh, Therese de Prez, uh, who did the original High Fidelity. Nice. And here's where we get to say R.I.P. because she died a few years ago, and it's really sad. Because the production design on this is fantastic. Agreed. It's really well done. We were going to talk about that a bit more. And finally, we have costuming from Amy Westcott, another person who's worked a few times with Aronofsky. Uh, she did Nightcrawler. She did After Earth. But I love the costume design in this as well. It's really, really cool. I agree. I agree. I think. Um, I think it's very... I mean, in a movie like this where you're working with a lot of kind of um, interpretation and, and symbolism, it's all of the details, including the costuming, needs to be very intentional. Absolutely. And I think that that, I mean, beyond just, you know, doing costuming for a full-on show that they're putting on in, a, you know, a full-on ballet that they're putting on mm-hmm. in the movie itself, also just... Aside from that, the costuming for a movie like this needs to be very intentional, and I think that that was really well done. Yeah, everything needs to be very specific. Mm-hmm. It's exactly right. It was a surprise hit. Um, this was a $13 million budget. Mm-hmm. It made $330 million. 
Wow. That's wild, right? Yeah. But this I art think... house horror film makes $330 million. Sometimes when things hit, they just hit. And I think that this one was relatable and quote unquote soft enough for people to gravitate towards it. Sure. But then also I think that by word of mouth, because of the shock value of of this um of this movie and the ending, I think that that is plenty for people to run Mm. to the theater to go and see it. Um, and I'm sure that people who saw it first were like, you need to see it in the theater. You, you know, don't yeah. wait for it to come out because I, I saw it in theaters when Same. it came out. And I, I will say that this is one of those movies that seeing it on a big screen with surround sound certainly enhanced the experience. Yeah. 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 The sound design on this we'll talk about, but it's, it's fantastic. And getting to hear that. Yeah. And surround sound. And like you, I was, I remember when I saw this, I was looking around mm-hmm. thinking I was hearing other people whispering mm-hmm. and it's the film. Yeah, I love that. I love when that happens. It's a great use of uh, of sound in this, and yeah, um, it still sits at a seventy nine out of a hundred on Metacritic. Wow. Yeah, there's a couple people who didn't like it. Like Leonard Malton said, he couldn't stand it, uh, <laughs> which is really funny. I'm just like, come on, Leonard, Leonard Malton. Um, but Kurt Loder said it was great. So yeah. there's always someone who says who wants to say that something that is really popular. Yeah. They want to have the unpopular opinion. It's Malton. Devil's advocate yeah. sort of thing. But also, you know, to each his own. Absolutely. I mean, it was it got a one of the longest ever standing ovations at uh, the Venice Film Festival when it was released. Wow. That's where it made its premiere. And uh, weirdly, Venice Film Festival is the longest running film festival in the world. Hmm. Did not know that. Yeah, I recently learned that. I, I, like, it was one of those things where I was like, I should know that, but I didn't. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's really readily available information. (laughs) (laughs) This is like, okay. Sure. Great. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So it was, I mean, a lot of it did come off of the the success of The Wrestler. Mm -hmm. After that was like a big Oscar hit. Mm -hmm. This was as well. Yeah. Uh, I think Portman won it. Yeah. She won best. uh, She won best actress for this. As she should. Yeah. Gave a great performance. Yeah. It was nominated for five different things. One of them was Best Picture. Uh, Portman won Best Actress. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's not surprising. This was one of her best performances. And she's such a good actor, but this is one of her best performances by by a shot. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's an indie production um, from Fox Searchlight, which is kind of indie, kind of not, you know, mm-hmm. as we've talked about that, where it's like sort of an independent film, but not entirely. Weird gray area. Yeah. Exactly. Um, it's a pretty tight runtime. It's 108 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's the conception of this was really cool. I love the idea that he had for this. And I love that he says it's a companion piece to The Wrestler, because it really is. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that? No. It's good. Um, Mickey Rourke is so, so good in it. Nice. Um, and yeah, but that's like a wrestler who has to decide if he wants to die at the top. Like, he, he's been on steroids for so long. Mm. That they tell him that like his final match. Sorry, I'm I'm spoiling the wrestler, but it came out. You know, it's okay. Thirteen years ago, um, it's it, it's not a thing where it's like a spoiler. It's I mean it is, but a spoiler literally. But it's not a movie that you can really spoil. It's just like a movie that you have to experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know he he's been doing steroids so long that they're like if you wrestle again, if you do this final match, your heart could give out. Wow. And so as he... It does he, sound like a companion piece to this. Yeah, right? And it's he's he's a, he's a failure who... Or he's washed up, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the, the last time that he can be who he was. You mm-hmm. know, it's really to, to, to go out with his glory as opposed to sort of die in obscurity and poverty. 
um, which I think is a it's it's an interesting film. Um, it's one of the few Aronofsky's that is rewatchable. We were mm-hmm. talking to our roommate about this, but he's like, "Ooh, yeah, no, I've only seen that once. I'm not gonna rewatch it. Mm-hmm. I've seen this. This is my third time watching this. Right? Uh, it's hard to I, every single time. I'm like, oh, right, this is why I don't rewatch Aronofsky. I know. I always forget about the body horror. Yeah, in he this, loves body horror. He's so good at it. Yeah. Requiem's the same way. Pie is like that. It's visceral. Yeah. The the wrestler has some of it. Um, Mother definitely has a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen Noah. I think that's the only one of his I haven't seen. I haven't seen that one either. Yeah. I, I kept meaning to, and I just didn't get around to it. I will some at some point. I didn't watch The Fountain, that's right, because everybody said it was shit. So, <laughs> um, anyway, that's about all I've got for now. You want to tell us what happens in the movie? Sure, let's do it. So we've got Nina Sayers, like you said. She's 28 years old, and she lives with her mom, Erica. He loves terrifying mothers. He really does. It's Requiem, Um, this mother. (laughs) Yeah. He's got mommy issues. Clearly. And so she she dances with um, a New York City ballet company. They're in Lincoln Square. Yeah. um, Or Lincoln Center, I mean. and they're opening the season with Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake. Um, and, you know, the uh, the director is saying, like, overdone, but not like this. So they're doing a new take on it, we assume. So he's forced his prima ballerina, Beth McIntyre, played by Winona Ryder. She's so good in this. She's great. For, the, like, the 30 seconds she's in it, she's so good. Wonderful cameo. We love it. Um, she's being forced into retirement and Tomas says that he's looking for a new dancer for the white swan Odette and black swan. Um, is it Odile? Odile. Odile. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Nina auditions for the roles and essentially gives a good performance as Odette, but fails to embody the black swan. Um, right. Yeah. She's just, just nothing seductive about her. She's very virginal. She's we see her room. Virginal. It's like a little girl's room. Yeah. Stuffed animals and fading pink. And pink. White yeah. And, yeah. That bed frame. All of that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the next day, Nina asks Toma to reconsider. Um, and he forcibly kisses her. She bites him and runs out of his office. And then later that day, Nina sees the cast list and sees to her surprise that she got the got what she wanted. She got the roles. So then we're at this big gala, you know, celebrating the new season. Beth That's then a, it's trashed and accuses her of sleeping with Toma for Did a you promotion. Suck his cock? Yeah, she's she has a moment, um, and you know she kind of. She kind of alludes to that that's what she did to get to the top. She's like, enjoy it while it lasts. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, like, she feels very fucked over. So then the next day, we learn that Beth was hit by a car. And Toma thinks that Beth was attempting to commit suicide. Yeah, I can never tell in that moment if Toma's just a prick, because he is, or... Saying it was attention-seeking. Yeah. As opposed to an accident, yeah. Mm -hmm. So then we're in rehearsals, and uh, Toma tells Nina to observe Lily, who has come, who has come from San Francisco. Yeah, she's fresh off the fresh, fresh off the plane. Exactly, and you can already tell that like she's kind of you know she's she's a more uninhibited person. She comes in late. He says you can go warm up. She says no, I'm good. She wears dark eyeshadow. She wears all black. As she's got tattoos. To the, yeah, yeah. So. Really ugly wing tattoos on her back. <laughs> yeah. So we're already seeing kind of, you know, a, a theme of 
opposites here. And so I, it's kind of like, what environment do you create if you tell a dancer to observe another dancer? Not a good one. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. You're saying this is your competition. Yeah. Be it or lose to it. Mm-hmm. And so then uh, Nina Nina has has quite a few hallucinations that, that uh, like, she sees in her reflection, like, the reflection moves before she does. Or, you know, she's, mm-hmm. she's having some moments here that we're like, oh, shit. Um, she finds these uh, scratch marks on her own back. And this is when we learn that she had an issue with scratching. It's kind of it's- like... Tied picking. with, yeah, picking. It's kind of tied with like an OCD type yeah. um, disorder. Can also be tied with self-harm, but not always. It, it, yeah. it depends. Yeah, um, it's unintentional self-harm. Mm-hmm. Um, we also know that she has an eating disorder. We see that throughout. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah very common in dancers. Unfortunately, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely not condoning that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so one night, Nina's mom is pissing her off more than usual, being more overbearing than usual. And Lily shows up to kind of like apologize for something and um, invites her out for drinks. And Nina, because she's so frustrated with her mother, is like, yeah, I need, you know, I need to get out of here. I don't care where where I go. I just need to not be here right now. Her mom just like eavesdropping and consistent. It, it's almost a funny scene. Like in a different movie, this would be comedic, but mm-hmm. it's a really good use of, like we say, comedy and horror are so tied. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, it's the same beats with a little uh, different turn. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is one of those moments that like if this were in so, some sort of comedy, it would be hilarious. Like the person popping out to it's a classic trope in comedy mm-hmm. or like a well-used joke that's used a lot. Yeah. But in here, it just helps raise the tension more and more. Oh, definitely. So and it's, you know, all of all everyone in Nina's life is is oppressive. Yes. So it's, you know. It's just a tug of war of who gets to be oppressive. <laughs> um, be oppressive. Be oppressive. O-P-P. I can't do it anymore. That's, that's not how I remember that going. Um, <laughs> but uh, what do I know? I wasn't a cheerleader. Um, Shocking. So I know, right? So Lily offers Nina. We're at like a New York nightclub, like a dance well, club. Yeah, it's like a yeah, they're dinner kind of. Oh, yeah, they go to dinner first, but then they end up at like a nightclub. Yeah, so before they, they're hanging out at the bar and Nina's like, yo, you want some E? Yeah, she offers her some ecstasy, and she's like, it'll help you relax, and, you know, she's like, it'll only last a couple hours, it's not, like, not that bad, it'll, it'll, it'll be fun, but Nina's like, no, like, we have early rehearsal, like, you know. I'm on stage tomorrow. Yeah. Um, but then Nina goes to the bathroom briefly, and Lily spikes her drink with the powder, and Nina supposedly sees this We happen. watch her see it, We yeah. watch her see it. Like, she's out of the bathroom, and when she gets back to the bar, she looks at um, Lily and says, just a couple hours, right? And Lily confirms, so she yeah. drinks the drink. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a parallel. Yeah. Parallel line, yeah. So we're at the club. Nina's flirting with men. She's flirting with Lily. They dance at the nightclub, and then they go to Nina's apartment late. They argue with her mom, of course. You know, Nina's a little bit belligerent um, at this point. Mm -hmm. Nina barricades herself in a room and has sex with Lily. She wakes up the next morning all alone, still locked in her room from the inside, and she is late for the dress rehearsal. So... She finally, she, she runs out, gets, gets to Lincoln Center. Nina sees Lily dancing as the Black Swan and confronts her about their night together. Lily then denies going home with Nina in the first place and taunts Nina for having like a sexual, like a wet dream about her, basically. Yeah. She Nina- had a lezzy wet dream? Yeah. Do you have a Leslie wet dream about me? 
oh my god <laughs> um and then now nina doesn't know How what's was real I? was i any good <laughs> yeah yeah sorry <laughs> no, and the answer funny. is yeah she was so then nina is really just unsure of what was a hallucination and what wasn't after that night mm-hmm. and now toma has made lily her alternate she goes and begs toma like anybody but her not her she wants my role thinking, you know, if, if she's going to drug me, what else is she going to do sort of thing to get this role? And Tomas like, there's always an alternate. She's the best choice. Like, sorry. So then Nina's hallucinations only get worse, only get stronger, and her injuries increase. Like, we've got, again, yeah. a lot of body horror. We've got the scratching on the back. We've got the pulling of the fingernails. <laughs> the, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty rough. <sighs> okay, so... On opening night, her mom tries to prevent her from leaving. She, like, takes the doorknob off of the door. Mm -hmm. And Nina is once again late. And and her mom is genuinely concerned, um, even though her mom is not great. I should add that her mom was a ballerina, but had to quit because she got pregnant with Nina. Yeah, and so at her age, they're, like they're both, they were both. Nina's twenty eight, and her mom was twenty eight when she had her. Yeah, so that's another parallel here, and you can tell that it's a very, it's very much so a live vicariously through your child situation. All those creepy paintings of her. Yes, they're yes. bad too. That end up talking to her at one point. Yeah, with like her hallucinations. Um, so there's definitely that uh, dynamic between them. And then Nina is also saying, like, we're nothing alike. I, you know, you, it, when whatever she wants to jab her mom, mm-hmm. um, she says, you know, I made it out of the core. Yeah. Like, I'm in a lead role and you never were. Right. So, I was a, I'm a principal or I was a soloist. You were never anywhere close to that. Yeah. So Nina, Nina like physically fights her mom to get out of the room. She finds the doorknob underneath um, the cushion of the chair that her mm-hmm. mom is sitting in. She leaves. Nina's, you know, late. Lily is prepped to replace her. Um, and she was supposed to be sick. <laughs> yeah. And then um, Nina confronts Toma, and so and he's like, he's like, okay, looks like you have. In less words, he's kind of like, you know, you've allowed the uh, black swan to take over. Sounds good. Like, get ready. Get warmed up. Mm -hmm. So towards the end of the second act, we're in a big lift. And Nina gets distracted by a hallucination and kind of fails to hold her own. Because a lot of people think that, like, the lift is all the person lifting um, it is very much so not. It is... Yeah, you both have to be a part of it. Any, I mean, any any dancer or even like a gymnast will tell you that it is it is a partnering moment. Like, obviously, the lift cannot happen without someone physically lifting you. Need you need the base, but yeah. You, but if you are not supporting yourself, then that lift is going to look very forced and just very... It's going to look like shit, yeah. It's going to look, yeah, not clean. So she, so this is what happens. She kind of, you know, she, she, she stops holding her own. She loses her stability here. So she gets dropped and Toma is like, it's a disaster. This is a disaster. And, um, she, so then, uh, Nina goes to her dressing room. She's crying. She's very upset. Um, and she, to make her more upset, she finds Lily preparing to go on as the black swan. They argue Lily transforms into Nina. This is, you know, this has happened a lot. This has happened a lot in this movie. They fight, they break the mirror that's, um, 
leaning on the wall. Nina stabs Lily that looks like Nina, like her doppelganger, with a large piece of glass from the mirror, killing her. And then the body reverts to Lily. Yes. So then Nina's... Nina's pretty horrified, but she's like, I have to hide this body. So she hides it in the bathroom, returns to the stage, and gives a stellar performance. She has the audience in the palm of her hand. She gets a standing ovation after she's the black swan. She just is everything that she was needing to find to play the role. Yeah. So Like, they're already throwing roses on the stage, you know? Yeah. So then... Nina's still feeling the black swan. She surprises Tomah with a passionate kiss and then goes back to her dressing room. Um, she puts the Odette costume and makeup back on. Just This is a lot. You got to go from like yeah. one to the other to the other. Oh, my God. There's a knock at her door. She opens it to see Lily, who is not dead. Surprise. <laughs> um, she apologizes for everything and says, you were amazing. Congratulations. She leaves. Nina's very confused. Imagine that. Um, she sees the mirror is broken, but the towel she used to kind of mop up the blood that was seeping in underneath the door is completely clean. She looks down and pulls a shard of glass from her abdomen, realizing she stabbed herself, not Lily. And this is the big reveal turn of the movie that's really fun, Um, for lack (laughs) of a better word. I don't know. So Nina goes on ahead and dances the last act, which in Swan Lake, it ends with Odette throwing herself off of a cliff because Odette kills herself because the prince falls in love with the black swan. Yes. Yeah. So. Um, And Rothbart doesn't lift the spell because she doesn't get true love. True. It's the Swan Princess, if anyone remembers that obscure not Disney movie um, that I loved as a kid. I loved that as a kid. That opening number, so solid. Oh, yeah. The songs in that are, like, really good. Also, Odette was hot. Yeah. I was thirsty for Odette. Yeah. So Nina lands on a mattress, you know, behind the scenes. You know, you're, you're not actually going to land on the stage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the audience can't see. Obviously, it's theater magic. Um, the theater erupts in applause. Toma, Lily gather to congratulate Nina. They're like, you were, you know, like, holy shit. She just, she doesn't get up. She's lying on the mattress. Toma, it's actually Lily that sees the blood. She goes, oh. <gasps> And then Toma looks and the blood is spreading. She's just like covered in crimson. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh my God, uh, call 911, get get help. And then he's like, Nina, what, what happened? What did you do? What, what did you do to yourself? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she just says, it was perfect. He's and like, then. Did, what? And she just says it again. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was perfect. And then the screen just fades to white. Roll credits. That's it. Yeah. That's how the movie ends. I mean. We also missed the part where Beth, like, the whole Beth scenes. um, Oh, in the hospital? Yeah. Yeah. There's one where she goes to check on her and, like, her legs are just destroyed. Yeah. That's where some of the body horror comes in as well. Yeah. Um, And then she visits her the second time. Yeah. Um, And, yeah. The whole, like, gives her back her shoe knife. Mm Mm-hmm. And the shoot, she uses it to stab herself in the face. And then Nina's like, oh, I stabbed her in the face. And it's like, what's going on here? Did you yeah. kill Beth? <laughs> what's happening? So there's a lot to unpack with this movie. <laughs> really? Like, a lot, a lot, I thought a lot, it was really lot. straightforward and simple. Like, it's just a basic plot. So basic. So I don't even really know where to begin. 
So I guess I can talk a little bit about the conception of it, right? Okay, yeah, that's that sounds like a good place to start. So one of my favorite stories, it's been adapted in a few different ways, and I think we've talked about it in general on here, is uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky's The Double. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like Dostoevsky. A lot of people don't. I enjoy him. Um, but yeah, so the double is about a guy who has a doppelganger and the doppelganger is like the, the, the first guy is like this nebbish kind of dude. Like, yeah, he's, he's just not like powerful or, or confident and can't get anywhere in his life. Yeah. And then this guy who looks exactly like him is the opposite like super cool calm casual just like knows what's going on Mm -hmm. and gradually he like the 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 double tries to make him more powerful tries to show him how to be that person but eventually um it turns out he takes over his life right and that's that's what happens here too so we've talked about doppelgangers before and that's that's definitely part of it but um this was it was that meets uh, he just wanted to like do a retelling of Swan Lake, but with understudy, like talking about like understudies or like he just wanted he wanted to do ballet horror. I love it. Yeah, so they, he, this movie was in the works for ten years. I mean, it paid off those ten years because I mean, this movie this movie is is stellar. I love the I mean I love the idea of a ballet ballet horror because ballet yeah. is seen as just this very prim and proper and pristine art form mm-hmm. and you know one of our favorite things is when you take something that's like that on the outside yeah. and then because there's a lot of there's also a lot of darkness with I mean any art form um, comes with a lot of darkness and this movie explores pretty much all of it. I mean I'm I'm a musical theater actor I have n- I am not a ballerina. If by any means, but I, you know, yeah, I have seen... Are not quite on, not quite on point. No. Um, and, but I, so I've seen kind of, you know, the darkness that does come with being a performer and a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. And um, this movie explores that in a really dynamic way. Absolutely. It's, yeah. It's great. So um, there was this interview with him that you, you'll see quoted a lot. And uh, it's usually this quote. It's funny because wrestling some consider the lowest art, if they would even call it art, and ballet can, some people consider the highest art. But what was amazing to me was how similar the performers in both of these worlds are. They both make incredible use of their bodies to express themselves. Mm-hmm. So I love that, that you have the very like down and dirty film, The Wrestler, and then you have this film, which is all about like the pristine, perfection, high art, not accessible to the public, involves yeah. galas mm-hmm. of ballet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God, I love ballet. Sorry, uh, I, I've dated some dancers, and I loved. I miss getting free tickets <laughs> to go see ballets. Fair, <laughs> um, but yeah. So I love that about this movie that it's it's a movie about doubles that's also a double of itself. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that's something that audiences gravitate towards. A lot of people like polar opposites and like duality. Like you know, we've how many how many um, Batman versus Joker. Yeah, you know, not even just movies like Superman, Lex Luthor. Yeah, how many how many times have have people Xavier Magneto paid to engage with you know storylines like that? So, mm-hmm. so audiences love that type of storytelling, and mm-hmm. also kind of you know the the duality between like Nina is living Swan Lake, 
Yes. In, yes. In, you know, it's it's that like very meta moment. <laughs> it's very much up its own ass. Yes. Kind of like the other dance movie smash hit center stage where the final performance basically is just the whole plot of the movie. Yeah. And it's eight minutes long because they weren't cowards. Amazing. Right. Amazing. <laughs> um, yeah. But I mean, I love I love I, I think you're right that everybody's a big fan of movies about dualities or just dualities themselves. Like they're interesting because they generate tension, right? Yeah. By necessity, there, there's tension there. Yeah. It's also interesting to me that Nina is seeing doppelgangers, but she's all like in the reflections because he plays with mirrors so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he made a joke about that where he's like, yeah, every filmmaker loves using mirrors because they're fun. Yeah. Um, but then also that she's got Lily who could be replacing her, right? She's the evil twin, not so much a doppelganger. It's interesting. I like it a lot. Yeah, it's cool. And I think that, I mean, this movie this movie is very much so up, up, up for interpretation, right? And there are kind of two main interpretations that, um, that people have been led to believe, right? Mm-hmm. So one is that pretty much that everything is real and the black swan in quotes is like this entity. It's the monster that we don't really see, but you know, makes itself known. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that would explain, you know, kind of like the black swan taking over Nina and Nina succumbing to that and that being her demise and that killing the white swan. Yes. Yeah. And then, and in that interpretation, Lily is very real and everything that happens with Lily is real. Mm-hmm. There are still like, uh, they're meant to be seen as hallucinations, but it also like in, in, in this interpretation, the hallucinations are brought on by the black swan. Right. We see this a lot in horror, right? Like once, you know, a, a spirit, a ghost or whatever comes in, there are things that could be interpreted as um, hallucination, but it really is the ghost or whatever making Absolutely. this happen. Yeah, right. Right. So that's one interpretation of this. That's pretty popular. And then the other one is that, that Nina has uh, several mental illnesses Right. Um, and exacerbated by her awful, awful mother. Yes. And taken advantage of by everyone else in her life, essentially. Right. Which this interpretation has a lot of merit, in my opinion, um, because I think that they're both really fun and interesting, you know, interpretations. But I think that the uh, mental illness one has a lot of merit because, A, she's 28 years old and still living with her mother. Mm hmm. Um, She's so infantilized by everyone around her. Tomat infantilizes her, too. Yes, yes. Lily infantilizes her. Like, mm-hmm. Beth does. All of that. Yeah, so there's... there's, And, I mean, that was... Her age was written in there for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. She could have been... You know, if she was uh, fresh fresh out of high school and in, like, a dance corps, then fine. I would understand why she would live on the Upper West Side with her mother to be able to travel down to Lincoln Center. Yeah. Um, but as a 28-year-old, it kind of just strikes me as, as like her mother felt, as Nina didn't feel the need to, quote-unquote, go find her own place, um, and also that her mother probably encouraged her to stay because she wasn't well, necessarily. Yeah, and also just, like, not making money, you know? Like, yeah. you don't make a lot of money as a, ballet, as a ballerina. Unless no, you're totally. the prima, you, you make no money. Totally. And I mean, that could that could definitely be a factor in it. But I bet you so many ballerinas also have a job. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm just kind of like, I don't uh, that kind of points it towards that side for me. 
Um, and then also, so in this interpretation, Lily would still be a real person, mm-hmm. but the things that happen with Lily aren't quite real. Right. I think they go out for drinks. I think she gets high, but like... I definitely think all of this happened, but I don't think that in this interpretation, like the sex scene actually happens. I think that Lily drops her off and makes sure maybe she, maybe she makes sure she gets in bed and then leaves. I would say she even just gets to the door. Yeah. That's and, that's really all. And just no, they don't, actually, off. no, they don't go home together at all because she says she goes home with Tom. Right. So, so yeah, she's like, yeah. we had sex last night. And she's like, no, we didn't. Unless your name is Tom, you got a dick. Yeah. 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 So there's, there's that interpretation where Lily is real still and she still is the embodiment of everything that Nina is not and everything that everyone is telling Nina to be. Yes. Right. And Nina, as a perfectionist, it's something that she cannot obtain easily. Right. So she's fixating on it. Yeah. And with the characteristics that she's trying to obtain, fixating on anything is not in line with those characteristics. Yes. Right. Yeah. Like- <laughs> no, that's exa- yeah. No, it's fantastic. Um, it's funny because like it's so interesting because like I, w- I was talking about the wrestler and I've been um, pulling some from this uh, this pretty solid analysis of this film from uh, Film Colossus. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll drop the link in the, below in the footnotes. But uh, he's like, yeah, this inverts the time frame from The Wrestler. This isn't the end of her career. This is the beginning. Yep. Like, this is this is the precipice, really. Mm-hmm. Like, this is where she can become a major prima. Yeah. And be known and adored and actually have money and be able to get out of her mom's place and, like, the finer things in life are coming to her now, mm-hmm. you know? But yeah, her perfectionism is because her entire personality is ballet, which yeah. was forced on her by her mother, you know? Yeah. That that's... That's her identity and her right. only identity. It's the vicarious, living vicariously through your kids thing, which we see so often. Yeah. Um, Barbara Hershey, by the way, is fantastic in this. Oh, She's yeah. She so plays good. She plays scary mom very well. Mm-hmm. Um, Terrifying. And I love that as a companion to Requiem for a Dream, uh, where you had uh, Ellen Burstyn playing mm-hmm. a, like, whacked out just psychotic mm-hmm. <laughs> person who's unfortunately like burning her brain on speed you know yeah. so there's a lot of really cool stuff that happens in here but the technical achievements of this movie are uh, stunning mm-hmm. and it's wild because it was shot on super 16 yeah um that's super 16 millimeter uh for those of you out there so, which is a very lightweight camera yeah. and because he d- like he used this style in the wrestler as well it makes it look gritty yeah. And it, it, you were pointing out the entire time we were watching it that this is just such a cruel and bleak world around her. And Everyone's it's a cruel and bleak so, New York. Yes. Everyone is so... Anyone that she just even run in, runs into or, you know, I don't even remember what it was. I think it's like she goes to the store or something. It's just like mundane things where the people who work there or anyone she interacts with, like on the subway or whatever, are just... Mm-hmm cold and super cruel um they just you know they're like what what are you looking at what are you doing like why you know like get out of my face like sort of hostility yes everyone is hostile towards her lily's the only one who's even semi-warm yes yes and i think that that's kind of an interesting uh thing about lily too is that i do believe that lily wants her part oh of course i don't who wouldn't um but i I think that there's this kind of back and forth between Lily is able to kind of conceal her desire for this role. She's still honestly very nice to Nina Mm -hmm. and 
she, I mean, definitely drugs her. I do think that that was intentional for, you know, um, her missing rehearsal and stuff. But like, I, I do too. It seems sabotagey. Yeah. And so it's, it's kind of like even the one person that isn't nice, that, that is nice to her still has the worst intentions. Like she's being nice to her, but it kind of feels like one of those keep your enemies closer type situation. I think that's exactly what that is. So it's, it really, it does make you feel for Nina. I think that she has really just been dealt the shortest straw here. Mm -hmm. And then typically in stories uh, like this, the person who has been dealt the shortest straw is the person that ends up making quote unquote, like a deal with the devil. Yeah. And that's really how this reads where she gets exactly what she wants, Mm -hmm. but the cost of it is her life. Uh, yeah um <laughs> you know exactly yeah and so i anyway so the, that, that's exactly right and so going back to that i love i want to get to the technical parts of this a little bit mm-hmm. um so using that super 16 let them do lots of really amazing shots where because it's a super light camera you don't have to like worry about dolly track when you don't get the stationary feel like aronofsky's talked about how he really wanted it to They've done dance movies where you see the dancing because the focus is to see the dancing. That is not the focus here. The focus is to make you feel claustrophobic and terrified in a movie about dance, but also feel as if you are participating in it, right? Yeah, those are some of my favorite shots, the ones you're talking about where they follow her even when mm-hmm. she's doing, you know, like um, chenets or, you know, like any sort of Yeah, chenets, yeah. Yeah, um, any, anything like that. I love that the camera follows her because it, it it disorients you. And like you said, it brings you along, makes you feel like you're immersed. Exactly. Like you're it's a very immersive style of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, the wrestler did the same thing because he's like, yeah, people have made like movies involving like a boxing ring or a wrestling ring. They never put you in the ring. They never let you feel like you are yeah. there. And it's the same thing with dance films. He's like, I wanted it to be like that too. He was like, originally I was going to maybe do more staticky shots and more wides and he's like I, I decided not to like while we were making it it's just like this is the bad choice. yeah it's great it's a choice. great choice because I mean I think that honestly those you know shots following her mm-hmm. um, while she's dancing bring this movie from good to great yeah and I mean the amount of cuts in this like Darinowski is is known for being a heavy editor mm-hmm. and using using like just tons of cuts like your standard film has I want to say like one to two hundred cuts your, your basic like 90 minute movie has about one to 200 cuts. This is between six and 800. Mm-hmm. He just uses like, like Raimi does in a very, very different way, but both of them use editing or right. You know, we talked about him. All of them use editing in different ways, but to achieve, they use editing artfully and they're not just like cutting things out or cutting the movie together. Mm-hmm. Right. They're truly like, I'm making art out of it. The Raimi, we talked about the Raimi sequence and, now I want to say I, I think you should leave. Yeah. <laughs> Drag me to hell. The movies whose name I shall never remember, even though I love it. Um, so in Drag Me to Hell, we ta- that episode we talked about that. Uh, in Shaun of the Dead, we talked about how Wright uses just a lot of cuts. Yeah. Um, where somebody like Carpenter doesn't. Mm-hmm. Carpenter doesn't do cuts, um, and and uh, Robert Eggers doesn't use cuts. Not really. Like n- no more than they have to. Mm-hmm. Whereas this movie, and Aronofsky does this all the time, but he's, it's very much like, how are we cutting this together? Yeah. And how am I using editing to be an artist? Mm-hmm. Right? Using editing as an art form. And I love when people look good at that. Yeah. 
Um, it can be hokey like it is with Wes Anderson. Um, I don't like Wes Anderson. <laughs> I think it's been pretty well. I, that's pretty well established on this that I, I get why people like him, but I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but he uses editing a lot in the same in a similar style. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I love that. So when you have these super follow shots that are just like and just like you're the camera's being dragged by the dance, right? Yeah. And we get so and even in a movie with this many uh, cuts in it has almost no wides. Yeah. There's very few wides in this. Mm-hmm. Um, we get one in the studio when she's rehearsing and doing her fuetes. Like the she's doing the uh, Odilis dance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the pianist is like, I've got a life, dude. Mm-hmm. And leaves. That's one of the only times we get a wide. Every yeah. time, every other time, even though New York is a wide open city in a lot of ways, we are underneath scaffolding or we're in her tiny apartment or her tiny bathroom. We're in. It's like you said, it makes it claustrophobic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're in her dressing room, which is small and depressing. You know, mm-hmm. we're in a hospital room like there's. And even the wides end up being more like close ups, you know, like there's a there's a wide at the gala, but it's not very. It doesn't last long. Yeah. Um, the conversation between her and Beth is a wide. But that's again. Anytime they do it, it, anytime he uses a wide, it's to isolate her. Yeah. Right. Every. I mean, that's what I'm thinking through right now is that every single time he uses a wide shot, it isolates Nina further. Definitely. You see how few people are around her, right? Yeah. Um, but everything else is really, really tight, and I love that. No, agreed, agreed. And it's again, it's what it's what brings this movie from being good to great because it just makes it disorients you. It makes you feel claustrophobic. It makes you feel isolated it makes you feel all of those things that Nina feels because she is so again she's oppressed and ta- and taken advantage of by everyone who she interacts with mm-hmm. so that's a really lonely feeling and i think that they do a really great job of making us feel for Nina whose perfectionism and possibly mental illness ends up being what is her demise ultimately because she has a mother who isn't she tries to be supportive with those things, but the whole almost like living vicariously through her daughter jealousy kind of yeah. takes precedence over the caring side of mm-hmm. her. So it just, it's a really sad situation. It's almost like, it, I mean, it gives me mad Carrie vibes. Like the, the mother Very and much the, so. where Very you just much feel so. so bad. And and the moment that that person decides to take power, it just backfires. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's, it, yeah, trying to take the power back and it just shoots her in the fucking It's devastating. Foot. Yeah. It yeah. Like, literally kills her. Literally. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, I, I there's such an interesting, I, I, man, the focus, Aronofsky's really good. He's a very good filmmaker. Again, correct. he's somebody who I typically only watch once. Like, I, I've, I've only seen Pi once. I've only seen Requiem for a Dream once. This is the only one I've seen multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it's hard to rewatch because good god the body horror is fantastic in this. Agreed, yeah. Um, it, when she turns into the fucking swan, mm-hmm. um, in her bedroom, like her legs break and she becomes yeah. they, they become bird legs and mm-hmm. like it's so fantastic. But the I Aronofsky's great in figuring out what he's gonna do with a character and just doing it to death. Mm-hmm. In a great way. It happens in The Wrestler as well. Yeah. It happens in Requiem. Um, and so, like, he, 
this this focus on Nina's infantilization mm-hmm. is beautiful to me. Yeah. It's like no one's ever going to call Aronofsky a, a perfectly subtle director. Yeah. Um, but I think that that's fine. I think he's fine with that. He's not a subtle director when it comes to telling a story because he wants to make sure you're getting the point. It's almost overwriting, but in a great way. So, like, um, there's a really great moment when Nina comes back to beg for the part, right? Mm-hmm. From Toma. When I look at you, you know, I'm just going to quote the bit, but it's like he says, when I look at you, all I see is the white swan. Yes, you're beautiful, fearful, fragile, ideal casting. But the black swan, it's a hard fucking job to dance both. And she's like, I can do it too. He says, in four years, every time you dance, I see you obsessed getting each and every move right. But I never see you lose yourself ever. All the discipline for what? And she yeah. just says, I just want to be perfect. And he's that's when he lectures like. Perfection is not about control. It's about letting go. Surprise yourself so you can surprise the audience. Transcendence. And very few have it in them. Yeah. And I feel like we can't let this conversation go without mentioning that Toma is a complete predator. Oh, God. Terrifyingly. Probably has groomed a lot of people. Yup. Um, just gives me those um, vibes, mm-hmm. uh, I'll say. So, yeah, so, I mean, that's another way that I just feel really bad for her because she, she is doing anything that she can to get what she wants and to be perfect at it. And, again, it's just it, it, it ends in her demise and everyone's taking advantage of the fact that they think that she is not... Uh, yeah, that she's, she's not fully developed, that she's a child, all of these things. And all those things are true. Yeah, and, and, and who's to blame for that? I would say her mother. Yeah, because, I mean, like, Tama asks her some very uh, un-okay questions <laughs> about yes. her sexual history. Mm-hmm. Um, and have you ever had, he's like, you have any boyfriends? You had any girlfriends? Like, have you had sex? Like, all this shit, like, really getting into her. Tells her to go home and masturbate, which is a great scene because she starts to, she starts to lose control, and who's right the fuck there? Her mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the only time she's able to fully let go and scream Lily's name to the heavens is when she locks her mother out of the room. Yeah. You know? She's um, being smothered. Like yeah. Like that T- TLC show. Yeah. Smothered. Smothered. <laughs> smothered by mother. Yeah. Um, but it, I like the Toma and her scene because it's the 20 minute mark. And we don't, I don't think we've talked about this before, that there's like a few like really important information points yeah or like marks in a in a in a film like it's it's a pretty solid movie structure rule mm-hmm. um so like if you're writing a script you put in something at 20 minutes um because you want you want to look at the opening scene that's your thesis statement final scene that's your like obviously everybody cares about endings the climax which is usually about 15 20 minutes before the end uh depending on where you how you structure it but the climax is important mm-hmm. and the 20 minute mark um, and from that same article I was quoting from earlier from the Film Colossus article, uh, points out that 20 minute mark is when the hyenas attack Simba. Mm-hmm. 22 minutes is when uh, Brad's, Brad Pitt speaks for the first time in Fight Club. Mm-hmm. And you think about that stuff, right? Like those are important things. And so Toma and his conversation with Nina, that's the 20 minute mark. And it's right after that that she gets the role. Right. That's it. It's the, when he kisses her and she bites him, that's the moment. Sure. That's when we know that it's going to be different for her. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 wild. It's no, that's, absolutely a, that's wild. a that's a cool thing to think about. Yeah. So whenever you're watching movies, watch know when you're getting about 20 minutes in, and that's going to be one when, of the most important scenes in the film. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Fun little uh, insider thing. 
Because that's when it's like it's what turns the movie. That's yeah. the first oh, yeah. turn is the twenty minutes. The first shoe drops, you'll see. Yeah, and yeah. it's not even the. It's typically not even the end of the first act. It comes right before the act break. Yeah, um, you've but, established everything, and now you you mm-hmm. know what everyone wants, and then you yeah. Yeah, it's when the screw turns. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, this is this is one of those movies that's it, it's fantastic. Um, I, I find it so interesting that Aronofsky really wanted to highlight the the ills of dancing, mm-hmm. like I, and that it isn't pretty. Yeah, yeah, that what you think, and that's what he does with the wrestler too. He's like, this thing that you think is ugly is pretty, and now mm-hmm. I'm going to take yeah. the thing that's pretty and, and make, make it, it ugly. ugly. Yeah. Um, I, he's I, he's somebody who I just think is fantastic. I really really love him as a director, mm-hmm. uh, and it's nice that he's not just like a writer director too. I like that he relies on a team of writers mm-hmm. that, and I think that lets him focus. I think he knows where his strengths are because he helped. He comes up with the story ideas. Obviously, he's like, okay, so I want it to be like X Y Z. Do that, yeah, and then I'll make that. Hundred percent, hundred percent. It's important to collaborate, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, like, yeah, uh, Jordan Peele, writer director, John Carpenter, writer director, composer, <laughs> camera operator, boom operator, <laughs> everything. Yeah, he doesn't quit. But you know, there's there's those people who can do that. Edgar writes like that. Sam Raimi's like that generally. But I like when a director just lets them f- self focus on directing because then you get movies like this. Yeah, absolutely. Where, it can, where you can execute a vision. Mm-hmm. That's kind of my, that's, that's really all I have to say. Yeah, I mean, like we said, there is a lot to unpack with this movie. Um, so many conversations have been had about it, and, and it's it's something that I really admire about certain f- uh, styles of filmmaking and writing is I love having questions. I love, mm-hmm. I love um, wanting to watch something over and over again to see if I can interpret it in a different way or to see how someone else has interpreted it. Mm -hmm. Like, I I, I just, I think that this does a really great job of also making you wonder what is actually happening, like what is actually real, while Nina is also wondering the same thing. Yeah, that comes through in the scene after, uh, scene with Beth, the Mm -hmm. final one, where Beth is stabbing herself in the face and like slits her own throat. We don't know if it's real, yeah. And we see Nina with a bloody hand and drop the the knife. After that, we never see the blood again. Yeah. Because we see her go to wash her hands. Mm-hmm. But Aronofsky's very good with setting up that shot where yeah. he you he doesn't let you see that. Yeah. Like he doesn't let you see if there's like there's no blood going down the sink, right? Yeah, it messes a lot with our perception, which I personally really enjoy. I can mm-hmm. see some personality types would probably think that that's insanely frustrating, but I think <laughs> that it's I think that it's really fun and just I don't know, a really inventive way of making of making films and yeah, more like this one. I would love to mm-hmm. see more more like this. Yeah, we should um we should do mother together. Yeah. I would rewatch that. For sure. But yeah, so uh before we sign off, I just want to let you guys know that we're going to have a nice little giveaway soon for our 100th episode that's coming up fairly soon, so keep an eye on our Instagram and um yeah, more details to come. So you guys know where to find us. We're on Instagram at Horror Babes Podcast. We're on Twitter at Horror Babes Pod. And we have a website, horrorbabespod.com. Until next time. Bye, Bye, babes.
Yeah, babe.